We turn in Holy Scripture this evening to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that did see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before him. 
For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Our text this evening is verses 4 through 6. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this Word of God places us this evening at the foot of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is evident from the opening words, which were one of the words that Jesus himself quoted while he was on the cross. Words that are well known to us and associated with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Words that are quoted in our Lord's Supper form. Those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The significance of those words is they indicate to us that Christ, while he was on the cross, was consciously and deliberately fulfilling the Scriptures. These words, therefore, of this psalm were prophetic. They did not speak about David himself except as a dim picture. But the Lord used these words that he wrote to speak of himself and what he would experience and what he would go through on the cross. These words, therefore, are the words that he himself spoke. This also is a good time for us to perhaps examine one of the reasons that in our worship service we sing exclusively psalms. The argument against that is that hymns allow us to speak more clearly and to speak more directly about Jesus Christ, to praise Him, to invoke His name, than, say, singing the Psalms, which do not mention Christ directly by name. One response to that is this, that singing the Psalms actually helps us sing about Christ and sing to Christ and understand Him better because we are singing His 
words. When we sang twice tonight from Psalm 22, the words of Jesus Christ himself were actually upon our lips and came forth from our mouth. Which also points out another thing, that if you and I were creating songs for worship, we would not write this way. We should be amazed that David himself was so inspired by the Holy Spirit that he wrote such a psalm as this and did so so prophetically, so clearly that there is no one, even the most blind, who cannot see that this is about the cross of Jesus Christ. We would not write these words. No man would write these words. And certainly no man would want to sing them. The Spirit writes them, and the Spirit desires that they be sung. We, however, over the next few weeks, are not going to be considering the words that Jesus spoke out loud at the cross. There are seven such words. They are famous. We know them. We often consider them. But what we don't consider are the silent words of Jesus Christ. He suffered silently. He went as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearer. Jesus was thinking on the cross. He was praying on the cross. He was trusting in God there on the cross. If you want to know what was in the mind of Christ, the answer is the gospel. He was actively busy saving and delivering and fulfilling his own word. So tonight, we stand not only at the foot of the cross, but we are placed right within the mind of Jesus to consider what he himself was thinking and saying to himself there on the cross as he suffered. The word we consider tonight is Jesus' word to himself, I am a worm and no man. These are significant words, I am a worm. And we may see them, and we may treat them, and we may consider them just as we would the other more famous I am words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Consider also, I am a worm. We consider this evening the humiliation of that word, the explanation of that word, and finally the hope of that word of Jesus Christ. When Jesus spoke those words, I am a worm and no man, he meant them. Jesus was not simply speaking hyperbole. He was speaking the truth. He was speaking the gospel. He was speaking as much truth and as much gospel 
as when in the book of John he would refer to himself as a door or the bread of life or the way, the truth, and the life. And we must examine this word as closely as we would those words. I am the light, I am the life, and I am a worm. What Jesus is referring to very specifically with regard to those words is that he, there on the cross, was in a state of humiliation. You all learned when you were in catechism from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, that there are two great states of the mediator. There were two great states that explain his life. First of all, there was the humbling of himself, even unto death, we call the state of humiliation. And then there was the exaltation of Christ, beginning with his resurrection. And it's good to be reminded of those states and remember that when we consider the cross, when we consider the resurrection of Jesus, we're not simply considering events, we're considering the state of Christ in his life. Now a state is how one stands before others. It is how they are considered before others. That's what Jesus was referring to. When he said, I am a worm and no man, he was referring to his state of humiliation. And that state, in the first place, had to do with his humiliation before men. What he was in the eyes of men. How men considered him. He did not come into the world as a man, highly exalted, as some great king and lord with a crown and robes bedecked in jewels and covered in money. He came as a worm. Now what did Jesus mean by that phrase, by that analogy, by that figure of speech? And we may look at it just like other figures of speech that Jesus used with regard to himself. He was saying in the first place, I am lowly and I am insignificant because that's what worms are. Worms are denizens of the dirt. Worms live in the darkness where we do not see them. Worms live beneath our feet. Worms live out of sight and therefore out of mind. So Jesus was saying, I am insignificant. I am lowly. I am not even considered. I live my life in the darkness and in the bowels of the earth. In the second place, Jesus was saying this about himself. I am vile and I am disgusting. When we think of worms, we think of earthworms, which from a certain viewpoint can be kind of cute. But the word that's used here is not simply the word that's used for an earthworm that the birds eat, but is the word the Bible uses for a maggot. I am a maggot, Jesus was saying. 
Now we all know where maggots live and we all know how disgusting they are. They breed and live off dead flesh. These are the creatures we find in our garbage piles, in our bags of trash. These are the creatures that you find feeding on the dead in the grave. They are smelly, they are disgusting, they are slimy. Jesus is saying, I am vile and disgusting. The kind of thing that makes you gag, which is what happens when you open trash full of maggots or kick a dead creature covered in them. Lastly, Jesus was saying this, that he was in a state of helplessness and uselessness. And that is what makes worms so lowly and so despised. They do not have the faculties that we associate with knowledge and understanding and learning. They don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. They don't have a mouth with which to communicate. They don't have legs so that they're very mobile. They don't have arms to do anything. And that adds to their lowliness and how humble and lowly they are. Now what Jesus was especially referring to was what he was in the eyes of men. What he was before the world. What he was while he hung there naked with his hands and his feet nailed to that big piece of wood. You have here in the passage Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry does not contain rhyming to connect things together. But what Hebrew poetry does is it makes statements that go together. Sometimes they are opposites. They are antithetical to each other. Nevertheless, they help explain each other. A statement about light and a statement about darkness. Sometimes they run parallel to each other so that the statements go together. And that's what we have here. He explains what he means when he says, I am a worm and no man, when he adds a reproach of men and despised of the people. Now he's going to explain that further, what he means. He talks about how they walk by. They see him and they laugh to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him, seeing He delighted in Him. So Jesus, when He speaks these words on the cross, is looking out. He's looking at the people gathered around Him there at the crossroads outside of Jerusalem, at the place of crucifixion. He sees to his right and to his left two other human beings being crucified with him for their crimes. They do not even see him. 
as one of themselves. But they both are mocking him. Those that delivered him over to Pontius Pilate are there mocking him, jeering him. He's going to go on to explain further that they are like the bulls of Bashan. Big, huge bulls with their horns arrayed around him, snorting, opening their mouths like ravening lions, waiting to devour him. Dogs barking and snapping at his feet. That's what causes him to say, I am a worm and no man. But Jesus especially mentions two words to explain further what he means. I am a reproach of men and despised of the people. A reproach and despised. Both of those words are words that show up elsewhere in the Psalms. That shouldn't surprise us because they are the words of Jesus. In Psalm 31 verse 11 we read, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. To be a reproach is to be someone that is despised so that they are scorned. It is to be so despised and hated that People run and they hide. It's not simply that they mock, but they want nothing to do with you. There is that word despised, that is hated and rejected. They're not looking at him saying, oh, poor little creature. They're not taking sympathy. Men are not looking at him and having any pity whatsoever, but he is despised and rejected. In Psalm 119, we read, I am small and despised. Small and despised. And both of those are closely related to the notion of shame. To be in a lowly position, to be in a humble position, position, to be base, vile, disgusting, seemingly without use, any utility, one is shamed. People are ashamed of this creature. We read of that together in Isaiah 53, verse 3. There it's all put together. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and knows we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not simply saying, I am a worm, who is reproached and despised by a few people who gather around me. I am reproached and despised for a few hours here while I hang on the cross naked. 
I am despised and reproached only now and then. But Jesus is saying, I have been despised and I have been reproached my entire life. And I have been despised and reproached even by those who are my neighbors, who are my friends, who are my disciples, even by us. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. In fact, the idea is we are embarrassed exactly because he's so shameful. And that's the idea of the state of humiliation. That's what Jesus is explaining. And he understands this very well. The psalm is going to go on and talk about his hope in God, who was his God from his mother's belly. That indicates that Jesus is very conscious that he just didn't turn into a worm there on the cross, but that's really what came out of his mother's belly. He was born a worm. Should have been born a man, a human being. Should have been treated as a human being. Should have been considered with some sort of compassion. But no, he's born a worm. Which is why we find people trying to kill him immediately. Why there's no room for him in the inn, even for his birth. He's a worm. He's a worm from the moment he's born till the moment he dies. A worm and no man. He lived his life despised by his brothers in his own home. Reproached even by those who were his friends. They too would be among those who scatter there in the garden when they see that he is being bound and carried away. When he would give himself over to those who hated him those who claimed to love him, questioned and doubted. That's what Jesus is referring to. And he's conscious of that in all his life. And he utters that word there on the cross because there especially it comes to climax. There it comes to his chiefest expression. Jesus is conscious that he is the one man in all the world who is not a man. That the whole world, every human being that ever lived, considers him a worm, and that is why he's on the cross. But Jesus is also talking about here what he was before God, and that is the most important aspect. Jesus is conscious that his state of humiliation doesn't simply refer to how he is and appears before men, what they think about him. From many points of view, I suppose someone could say that Jesus could care less. He does care. He brings it out. We're going to see the explanation for that in a moment. But his state of humiliation has to do with God. And he brings that up in the context. When you read about this, our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm. Jesus is drawing a contrast. And the contrast is how he is before God, 
how he is in the eyes of God, how God is dealing with him versus his fathers. Notice in the first place that Jesus is pointing out something, which is he has fathers. Though he says, I am a worm and no man, he's also conscious he's of fathers. He has human fathers. Fathers like Adam, fathers like Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and David. So that he is a son of Adam, a son of Abraham, a son of David. And he knows something about them. They all trusted in God. They trusted in God to deliver them. And what did God do? He delivered them. They, he said, cried to God. And what did God do? God heard them. They trusted in God and were not confounded. God didn't turn His back on them. He didn't shut His ears to them. Now keep in mind, Jesus knows something about those fathers. And what He knows, He records in Scripture. And Jesus recorded what He knew about Adam and Abraham and David, which is they were sinners all. If there were people whom God ought to turn His back on, whom He ought to confound, whom He ought to shut His ears to, it's these fathers. Adam, the father of the original sin. Abraham, who showed even he, the great Abraham, the father of all the faithful, could doubt. And David. We know about his great fall into murder and adultery. And yet Jesus is saying, but that's not the case for me. Here I am, the Son of Man. Here I am, and he knows who he is. He's not only a man, but he's God in our flesh. He's God out of God, light out of light, the Son of God from the Son of the Father. To that God, He trusts. To that God, He cries. But God shuts His ears. God doesn't listen. He cries out, therefore, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's what brings out the cry, I am a worm and no man. That's what I am, not just in the eyes of the people. That's what I am, just not to those who hate me and despise me, but that's what I am right now before my own Father. And that too came to a climax there on the cross where God is going to utterly abandon him unto death. Where God is going to treat him like a maggot and a worm and crush him under his feet. Now what's the explanation for all this? What is going on here? And we have to, first of all, look at this from our point of view, a human point of view, and understand that the Lord was pointing out who we are and the problem with us and why He is there on the cross as a worm and it has to do in the first place with the fact that we don't like worms. It's as the prophet said, there was nothing desirable about him. You see, man 
doesn't want a Savior in the first place because man will not humble himself. To be saved, to be delivered, requires that one humble himself to recognize who he is and what he is before God. That he is really not a human being, but a worm. So he doesn't want a Savior. And then even if man will admit he needs a Savior of some kind, it's not this kind of Savior. Man wants a Savior like he imagines himself to be. He wants a man among men. One who is a knight in shining armor. A mighty king over nations and peoples. One who can provide unending earthly daily bread and riches to go abound. That's the kind of Savior that man wants. Man doesn't want a worm for a Savior. And this is exactly why man cannot save himself, nor does man naturally want a Savior. And that also played out in the life of Jesus. They didn't simply despise Jesus as a man, although they did. There were those who looked at him, looked at his figure, looked at his face, looked at his body, and said, there's nothing here. This man couldn't save a worm. Not the kind of Savior I want. But then there's God's point of view. He was a condemned sinner, is why he's a worm and no man. The ultimate explanation and reason for his being there is not simply men, and especially the men whom he's there to save, their utter inability to appreciate a worm as a savior or admit that they themselves are worms, but he stands before God as a worm because he bears all their slimy, vile iniquity. He is in a state of humiliation because he stands before God as guilty. It is God, it is God who has humiliated him. It is God who has abandoned him. It is God who is the cause of his suffering. It is God that is the cause for all these things. The very God in whom he trusts. The very God to whom he cries out. That God has abandoned him and turned him into a worm. And he knows the reason why. It's not because of his sins. He had none. It's not because he's naturally disgusting and vile before God because he is God's own son. But it is because he has made himself a worm. And he did that knowing full well what worms deserve and what happens to worms. And that is what you have to understand this evening. You may look at this also from then the perspective of Christ and you will get why he says what he says. You see, we talk about Christ's humiliation, but we really don't know what we're talking about. I could preach many, many sermons about Christ's humiliation and what it was like 
for him who is God, him who is King of kings and Lord of lords, him who is the eternal and everlasting Son to take human flesh. And we all go, so? What, 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 what's the problem there? We're, we're human beings. Look at the fantastic creatures we are. Look at all the things that we can do and accomplish. Look at the skyscrapers and civilizations that we build. Look at the machines that we put into the air. Look at all the things that we've done. What's the big deal? Well, this. Which one of you would be willing to become a worm for the rest of your life? Which one of you to save your spouse next to you or your child would be willing to be turned into a worm for the rest of your life? Not only that, but for eternity. Not a single one of us. Perhaps another human being. Perhaps maybe some noble creature, like a horse. Maybe then. But a worm? A maggot? But Jesus did. And did so knowing full well that that is what's required, and that is what he must be to redeem us from our sins, to save us from our sins. He must become a worm like us. Now that word of Jesus Christ is also a word of hope. We're going to see that in the psalm. This is an amazing psalm, cryptic almost, mysterious we're going to see that in these expressions of Jesus is hope, because hope belongs to the gospel. And it was hope even for Christ. Christ had hope. Christ had trust in God his Father even there on the cross. Pointed out, even in that vile, disgusting creature, that he invokes as who he is. You see, a worm, as lowly as it is, even though it lives in dark places and is considered by us disgusting and vile and not worth our time, doesn't have what we have. They're on the lowest ladder of the created order of living things. Nevertheless, was created by God with a use and a purpose. Kill all the worms in the soil and you will have no crops. Kill all the maggots and you're stuck with all the dead trash and bodies piling up. God created them with a purpose. God put them on the earth for a reason. One reason is they do remind us of sin and death. They do remind us of corruption. They do remind us of how disgusting and vile sin really is. You see, when you kill a creature, it doesn't look so bad right away. But wait a while. Wait till that body bloats up under the sun and maggots start pouring out of every orifice of that body 
and you will see what we are by nature. Oh, we look alive. We seem to be capable of a lot. But if you look at it from the eyes of God and who and what we are, we're just maggots. That now, God uses as an expression for Jesus himself and also shows that there is a use there, a purpose there. Though he says he is not a man, the idea also is he's no mere man. Is Jesus there on the cross, this worm who is no man, only a man? And the answer is no, he's not. He's the Son of God. The Son of God as a worm. So it's an expression of hope. It's an expression, even for Jesus, of the lowly depths that he is in. But he also knows the great heights to which he will be brought. And that, too, represents the hope of the child of God in this word for us. The idea of the passage is Christ became a worm for us so that we wouldn't be. Though vile, disgusting sinners in the eyes of God, worms all, and though what we deserve is death because the wages of sin is death, even everlasting death, and death in hell, which, don't forget, is where the worm dies not. Hell is the place where the worms and the maggots eat on the bodies forever and ever and the bodies are never consumed. The dead in hell never quit dying. There's no end to the feeding on their bodies, which is where we ought to be and what we deserve. So in this word of Jesus Christ saying, I too, I am a maggot, I am a worm, and no man is the hope of the gospel that we shall never be. That in the first place, we shall be raised from this disgusting, vile world of the dead and darkness to life. But now a life that will be far, far higher than that. Life that is above death. Life that is above corruption and maggots and all those things. How so? Because where is this worm? Still on the cross? Still in the grave? In fact, did a worm even touch his body there in the grave? And the answer is no. Because when he said it was finished, and all the sins that made him a worm and that vile, disgusting creature, it was all over. And he was already transisting into the state of exaltation there in the grave. There in the grave, his Father is right by him, never separated from the Godhead, so much so that his flesh, we read in the Psalms again, didn't see corruption. He springs from the grave, a different creature, a body that cannot be slain, cannot be killed. He's going to ascend into heaven and sit at God's right hand, and he's going to send forth the gospel through the apostles through the old the new testament scriptures going to have it preached into all the world so that men and women 
who are worms by nature and who despise this worm by nature, love him, desire him. And you know how the psalm ends. The ends of all the world shall turn in fear. That's the hope of this, you see. Being raised from what we deserve and what we are by nature to everlasting life with the Lord of glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we thank Thee for Thy word of the Holy Gospel, the Gospel that our Lord Jesus there uttered on the cross in His own mind and heart to cheer and to guide us, to give us hope so that we turn to Thee our God too in time of need and trouble with the firm conviction that Thou wilt hear us and deliver us. Give us faith, Lord, in Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.